Hey, if you are brand new to MCC, thank you for taking some time out of your weekend. I know time is, is almost everything in today's day and age. Thank you for taking the time to say, I, I, I'm curious about what God is doing at a place like MCC. And I, I don't believe it's any accident uh, that you found your way in today. I believe uh, that through what we've already done and what we're going to continue to do, uh, that God is going to continue to pour his love into your life and that I believe uh, you're not going to leave the same as you came in. I think that's the power of God when his people gather together with us online or in person. And so I'm super glad that you guys are here. If you are brand new, you can take that Connect card in front of you. It's on that little chair. Uh, you can take one of those, fill it out. And we got some uh, things we want to give you in the back, kind of our way of saying welcome home. Uh, buy some free coffee. Uh, coffee's good. Amen. Amen. Yes. Amen. 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 Um, also on there. Um, there are places where if you're like, hey, I, I want to get more and more connected to MCC. I, I want to move from just being someone who is kind of like coming and sitting, but someone who is actually connected. Uh, there's ways you can fill that out on there. And also too, guys, um, we want to be praying. We want to be praying for you. And so the staff and I, we, we gather together on a weekly basis to pray and lift you up. And so um, everybody, um, life isn't always easy. Amen? You know when it's a lot harder? Uh, when you're going through it by yourself. And so fill out one of those connect cards. You got something we can be praying for you on. We wanna partner with you in prayer um, to let you know um, that you're not alone. And so you can drop those along with offerings in those next step card and offering boxes in the back on your way out. Sound good? All right, grab your Bible. Go to Matthew chapter seven. Good job. Look at you guys. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, um, make, pull it up on your phone, do something. Uh, we're gonna be in a lot, a lot of God's word today. So grab your Bible, go to Matthew chapter seven. Uh, as a church, we've been going through this entire uh, Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached in Matthew five, six, and seven. And we are in the home stretch where Jesus, like all good preachers, he is landing the plane. He is giving you practical application. He is telling us exactly what we need to do, exactly what we need to be aware of. And he's laying that all out in front of us. And uh, like we talked about last week, he said, that neutral is not an option. When it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to what you think about Jesus, what you think about Jesus is the most important thing that you think about. Who you say he is is the most important thing that you will ever say. What you do in light of who he said he was is the most important thing you will ever do. And he said, there's no neutral. There's no, I'm undecided on Jesus. You're either for him and you believe that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords or you don't. And he said, because of that, there will be two paths. There will be a path that is, is straight and that is narrow and that a path that leads to life. He said, only a few people are gonna find this. And then last week we read about, he, he said, there's also gonna be this big, broad, wide path. And many are gonna find that path. Many are already on that path. And that path will lead to destruction. So we, in this passage, what we're walking through is he lays out uh, two paths, two types of prophets, two types of disciples, and two types of of builders. Each of those he will lay out as a true one and a false one. And he kind of lays it in our hands to go, which are you? And which are you following to? Which are you desiring to become? So uh, hopefully by now you're Matthew 7. If you got a Bible, Matthew 7, we're going to start in verse 15, specifically where we talk about false prophets, tree and its fruit. I don't know exactly what your heading has, but that's where we're going to be, Matthew uh, chapter 15. Just kidding, chapter seven, verse 15. You guys. All right, let's read it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree 
that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire, and burned. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only who, who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? In your name, drive out demons and perform many miracles. And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what's gonna happen in these next few moments as, as you began to illuminate it by the power of your Holy Spirit so that we have an encounter with truth today. And Jesus, I pray that that is what my friends and myself included have. Uh, less of an encounter with our feelings and more of an encounter with your truth and how that affects our feelings, how that affects our thoughts, how that affects who we are to the very core of who we are. I pray, Jesus, that you'd allow us to truly be able to look at and examine the voices we've allowed into our life and that yours will not just be the loudest, but it will be the most trusted. In your name, amen. All right, so uh, let's go in. Let's, let's start unpacking this kind of word by word, verse by verse. Start Matthew 7, 15. This is what he says. Again, this is coming right after um, having given the analogy of there's two paths, and there's a really narrow one uh, that only a few people find, and it leads to life, and then there is a wide path, and a lot of people are gonna find that path, and it leads to destruction. From there, he then tells them what they need to do next. So he said, enter this narrow gate. Now he starts out, verse 15, with another imperative towards action. He says, watch out. So this is something that we are supposed to be on alert of. This is supposed to be something that we open our eyes to. And I believe that Jesus says, watch out here in the same way that he tells us in other passages uh, to be on your guard and to be on the lookout for greed because it's something that can potentially sneak up on you. I believe here he's telling us to watch out for false prophets because it's something that if you are not watching out, you will already start believing. And so as we even begin in today, that's kind of my my precedent is to go, um, I don't know how watching out you've been, but hopefully after today, as we get through talking through uh, what is a true prophet, what is a false prophet, what is a true teacher, what is a false teacher, that you begin to to have in your spiritual practice, in your spiritual DNA, like in your go-to Christian moves, watching out for false prophets. So first of all, he says, watch it, watch out. Next words he says there is watch out for false prophets. Now, again, one of the things that, that we try to lean into here at MCC is like, we don't want to just be people who go through the same set of Bible verses for years and years and years and years and never really get a true understanding of what it's actually saying. And the way you know that you know something is that you can teach something. And so for most of us, if a 14-year-old or a fourth grader or someone much younger than you came up to you or maybe an employee at work or a boss at work or, or, or a coworker or somebody and said, hey, uh, talk to me about, you're a Christian, right? Talk to me about what a prophet is or like those still around, what's going on with prophets? Like somebody told me like they prophesied over me. What is that all about? Like how confident are you that you could explain what that stuff is to them? I think most of us would kind of go like, man, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. I, I don't know. What, uh, I think there's, I think Daniel was a prophet. I think uh, there's some of those crazy names in the Bible like Obadiah or, or those guys that you're not going to name your kids after those. Um, all those people you're not going to name your kids after. Those were prophets, right? Well, some of them, yes. But what is a prophet? So I, before we get into this whole thing about being aware of false prophets and what is a true prophet, I just want to take you guys on like a, a crash course and prophets, okay? So bear with me. I'm just gonna, I want you to learn something here today. So like the next, you know, 
10 minutes or so, it's gonna feel academic, okay? We're gonna learn some things. We're gonna know some things before we can get into, okay, be aware of prophets. Because again, some of us know people like this. Some of us know people who they label themselves in their like Christian circle as, as I'm prophet so-and-so. And so we gotta ask the question, do prophets still exist? What's going on there? So let's figure that out. First off, um, I wanna talk to you about what prophets were in the Old Testament, okay? Because that's where they first show up on the scene, all right? Good? So prophets in the Old Testament. If you see prophets in the Old Testament, more often than not, what a prophet is doing in the Old Testament, and again, some of the major ones are guys like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Jonah was a prophet. Uh, He ended up inside of a well. So again, a prophet may not be the thing you're like, I wanna be a prophet. Uh, Most of the time, God's prophets were hated. And the reason they were hated is God selected these guys to be prophets, to speak his words to his people. And the words that he would speak to them were words of them, him saying, come and bring this guy in. Going, okay, whether it was Jeremiah, Daniel, Isaiah, whoever, I need you to go and tell my people to repent. That's a primary message of, of, that God gave to prophets was repentance, a message of repentance. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn and find, return back to your father. He loves you. He cares about you. Turn and repent. And now in these prophecies, God was incredibly specific. And he was actually, in a lot of these, incredibly graphic. I can't go all the way into it, but he's talking about camels and heat. And also, I mean, he's just, it's, it's vulgar. Some of the things that God describes how vulgar his people are treating him. He gives these messages to the prophets and he says, run along now, go tell all these people this really hard to swallow message. And because of that, many prophets were extremely hated. Death threats. Isaiah in particular, under the uh, death threat from a, a woman named Jezebel, he flees into the wilderness after having just defeated all of Baal's prophets, the false God that they were serving, that God had sent him to speak against, he flees into the wilderness and under a threat of death, he is borderline suicidal, wants to die. And God knocks him out, says, take a nap, eat some biscuits. And then he sets that prophet back on the path that he's on. And so a lot of times that's what an old, prophet is, uh, old Testament prophet is doing. Now, also one of the things you gotta know about Old Testament prophets is their prophecy and whether or not it was gonna come true had nothing to do with the faith of the people who they were prophesying to. And that's a little bit contrary to what maybe you've heard in prophets or people who would give prophecies in today's modern age. You know, may hear somebody say, well, okay, well, if you do this, then God will do this. Well, these Old Testament prophets, they said like, literally, here's what God says. And then they would lay it out. They would say, if you turn from your evil ways, if you repent, if you tear, you know, go into the mountains and tear down your Asherah poles, your, 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 the idols that you've made, if you tear those away, here's how God will relent from his wrath and how he will continue to care for you. And then he also said, and if you don't, here's what will happen. And a lot of the captivity, a lot of the pain, a lot of the heartache that the nation of Israel happened is because they refused to listen to the prophets that God sent. That is, until God sent the true prophet. Jesus. And and see, this is where we come into this place now where we enter into this New Testament, like new covenant side of things. Because if we really believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that he is, as it talks about in the very beginning of the book of John, it says, "In, in the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. What it's talking about there, and if you look in your Bible at John 1, 1, that W is capitalized because that W is saying that God is the word, like he is the prophetic word. Now come to earth to dwell among us. And because of that, we have to wrestle with, okay, if God's word is f- met its fullness in Jesus, 
well, then why do I need God's word through a man or a woman like me? And see, that's the question. So what I want to take us through here in regards to like here on planet earth, towards the end of 2021 where we're at, and then into 2022, if God lets us have 2022, how do we relate to prophets now? Or anybody who would say they have a prophecy for, or I have a word of knowledge for you, or I have a word of wisdom. We can call it a bunch of different things. Um, what I want to tell you, first of all, is I think, in my opinion, and again, based off of God's word, and this is the best I can do to you, I think calling yourself a prophet or depending on what a prophet would say to you is a very dangerous place to walk. Here's why. Hebrews chapter one, verse 13. The author of Hebrews is writing, and um, the book is called Hebrews. Any guesses on who the author of Hebrews is writing to? That wasn't a trick question. Yes, he's writing to Hebrews. Now, Hebrews, if, if you're not, maybe you, you never, maybe you missed this. Uh, Hebrews, Israelites, same, same folks, okay? So he's writing to Hebrews, Israelites, Jews. Kind of three different ways to talk about it's kind of the same group of people, okay? So he's writing to this book of Hebrews. He's writing to people who were from a Jewish descendancy, but were now turning to follow Jesus. We call those people Messianic Jews in today's day and age, all right? So he's writing to a group of people who had Jewish heritage, but are now surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus as the consummation of everything that they had read in the Bible that they currently had, all right? And they had got that from prophets, from Moses, from those, those uh, guys that God had sent before them. So he says this in the book of Hebrews, which is part of our Bible now. He says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. All that checks out. Verse two, but in these last days, which if the last days were when the author of Hebrews, most people argue it was Paul. If the last days were when Paul wrote this, then just simple you know, assumption goes, well, we're still in those last days now, okay? Like that isn't something that hasn't happened yet. If it, happened, if it was happening then, then it also is happening now. So in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. There's a difference between a prophet and the son of God. He has now spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe, all right? So there's no prophet who has that on his resume. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. Again, no prophet has that on their resume. And the exact representation of his being. Again, no human, male, female, whatever, prophet has those things on their resume. He says, in the, back in the past, like literally, uh, almost right there. Okay, I'm splitting the testaments. Everything on this side saying how God spoke to us back then was through prophets. And what this passage is saying here in Hebrew is from here on out, God is speaking to us through his son. And what his son says to men like Peter, Paul, and these are the things that he's saying. So keep going in the verse. That's it. He says it's his exact representation, sustaining all things by the power of his word, after he had provided purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. So why do I think it's kind of dangerous? And again, I'm choosing that word intentionally. I did not say it's sinful. Why do I think it's dangerous to either identify as a prophet or to say, I'm depending on a prophet to give me the word of God I need so that my faith can be sustained? First and foremost, it's because God primarily speaks to us through his son. 
really the, the main thing here is an issue of divine revelation. Like what God has divinely revealed about who he is. Now, in this room, almost all of us, whether we're like super open to somebody prophesying about our life or we're like closed down. If somebody comes up and they say, we got a word of wisdom for you. You're just like stiff arm. You're just like, no, you don't. Okay. Like if God wanted me to do that, he would tell me to do that. Um, Whether, wherever you're at on that spectrum, here's what we can agree on. This is the word of God. And here also, I believe we would agree on this. Everything that is contained from this cover of this thing to this cover of this thing is the essential things that I would need. I can learn the essential things that I need to know to live a life where my hope and my trust and my faith is in Christ based off of what I can read and understand in here. And when I say essential, that means I actually don't need anything else to add to this whether it's a word from somebody else, whether it's a word that I I hear from some guy on TV with slick back hair and really white teeth, all of those things are not essential for me to have a, a true and thriving even life in Christ because I actually have his divine revelation spoken through his word. Now, where this gets hard, and this is where, um, again, with maybe good intentions on the beginning, when you set out or think that I am a prophet who is now giving people a revelation from God or I am seeking out to have a prophet or somebody prophesy into my life, what that can potentially mean is that now in order for me to have a thriving life as a follower of Christ, I need a Bible plus a prophet. And that is heresy. That is, that, is, that is not, as, as we read through this, as, as we see God's unadulterated word, that it is not scripture plus a person equals divine revelation or the essentials for divine revelation. Let me be clear on that. Because again, can God divinely reveal something to you through the mouth of a human being? Of course, and he has. And we're gonna talk about that in a second. But it's dangerous when we get to the place where we think, I need that. Or I heard about this person who has dreams about stuff and I wanna go talk to them. Or I I heard about this person um, online. And again, you you find this stuff online. Usually the prophet is always tied to some sort of donation. You come to this conference or you give this thing and just so happen they've got this new thing. If you subscribe to my book or if you subscribe or donate, you give me this seed offering, then I'll reveal to you my prophecy about when Joe Biden is not gonna be president anymore. Like they're that crazy. And I guarantee Google that. You can find it somewhere online where you can give that money and you can figure those things out. Here, give, give this money to my ministry and you can figure out when the end times are coming or you can figure out what the seven letters to the church really mean. If you give in and so into my ministry, false prophets. And it's dangerous when the people of God go, ooh, if I'm really gonna be able to thrive in my walk with Christ, I need some of that stuff. See, what happens when we do that is, is we treat our Bible like it's not bound in leather and closed. See, that, I, I think there's, there's really, in my opinion, there's two kind of, when it comes down to people in this, there's two types of, uh, of Christians. Um, and, and I'll use that term lightly. There is Bible Christians, the Bible people, and then there are my Bible people. And my Bible, notice, is not bound. It has three rings. So that when somebody says something, I can choose to open that up and go, you know what, I actually like that. 
okay, this is their prophecy of my life, that I would be married or have kids by 2027. 20, okay, well, well that's, thus saith the Lord. Or I need to quit this job and start another one or, you know, whatever it may be. And I, and I go, okay, I really like that. That's, that's God's divine revealed. That's, that's scripture to me. And then we take this thing and we add that in. And again, that is incredibly dangerous to depend on that. Now, again, I'm not saying that people can't speak into our lives, that people can't say, hey, I get this feeling that God has more for you than the relationship you're in. That's not a sin. But the approach is everything. Because, again, don't hear me saying, if somebody labels himself as a prophet, now again, I, to me, just personally, I think the label of, hey, I'm a prophet, that's a bold move. That's a very bold move. Especially when you look at what the Bible says to do when prophecies don't come true. That's a really, really bold move. And I, I don't, don't call me that, please. But here's, here's what I wanna walk you through because there are passages where it, it talks about prophecy and it talks about them in the New Testament, in that connotation. So I wanna walk you through a couple of those. So um, if you've got a Bible, track with me on these. Maybe you can take notes and look some of this up on your own time. Um, we come across passages like this that show us that prophecy for us, if we are New Testament, New Covenant, post-resurrection believers, there can be moments where somebody is prophesying into our lives, that they are revealing something that God has spoken to them. And again, I would definitely put this thing a notch lower than what God said in the Old Testament through those prophets. And the reason I do that is because Jesus came and he was the word. And so everything that somebody like on our level would say from here on out, it's kind of got to be taken with a grain of salt. So in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, it says this. Paul's talking, he's writing to the church in Corinth. He says, but let the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. So again, Paul is saying, okay, if there's gonna be people who prophesy, if they're going to do it, they need to do it for strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. And along with that, the passage that we are unpacking today in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, okay, be alert, be on watch, wake up, pay attention to false prophets, which kind of goes with saying they're gonna be false ones and true ones. Now, the people who believe that there are no such thing as prophets anymore, those are people called cessationists. They believe that all spiritual supernatural gifts have ceased, that nobody can heal anybody, that nobody can prophesy, that nobody can speak in tongues. I'm not a cessationalist. I believe God can do whatever he wants. If he wants to send me to Mexico and let me speak in Spanish so that somebody gets saved, I believe he can do that. If he wants somebody to come down here up front afterwards and me to lay hands on them to pray for their cancer to be gone, I believe that God can do that. And there's some people who go, no, all those things are shut. The moment we had to close Bible, 66 books, all the things that needed to happen for all those things to happen, they're all done. That's why they call them cessationalists because they believe those have ceased. The far end of that is charismatic. Charismatic goes, if you're not speaking in tongues, if you're not prophesying, if you're not healing somebody, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. And I think both of those extremes are very dangerous. So Jesus comes here. And he, and he threw the apostle Paul as Paul is kicking and helping Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, get the church off the ground. He says, okay, when somebody prophesies, it needs to be for the sake of strengthening, encouraging, and comforting the church. Not going, ooh, I have a word of God. that if you continue at that job, the building is gonna explode. Like those, that's, that's not, uh, there's no strengthening, encouraging, or comfort in that. New Testament prophesying is for strengthening, encouraging, and comforting. So what do you do if somebody comes to you and they're bringing a, a, a word of prophecy. What do you do if that happens? Now again, 
Can we just be honest? Okay. Has anybody had that happen? Like, let's just be, okay, okay. We've had some of, some of us have had that happen. Or somebody come and say, I have a feeling I need to tell this to you. Or maybe you've been the person who you felt like God is saying that to you, of going, I need you to, I'm impressing this upon you to go and speak to them as, and again, very dangerous here, the word of God. God speaking through you to them. Okay, here's what to do if you ever feel kind of like that's what God is saying to you or if you have somebody coming to you and saying that. First and foremost, one, examine the source, all right? In the same way that if, man, you see my kids, maybe you would be, maybe you have a little grace on me because I'm a pastor, Um, but if you're at the playground, all right, just say you're at the playground with your kids back in the day or either right now, and you just see this mama and daddy, and they're there at the playground, and you find out which two kids are theirs, and they're just fighting each other. They're just picking the bark up off the ground and just munching on it. They just got it in their mouth like it's chewing tobacco, and they're just just hogging at it, and they're just pushing kids down the slide, rude to the kids, everything else. And your kid comes up to you and sneezes, and they go, you know, I really think you should get that checked out. You know, that sneeze sounded like there's some underlying issues. You look at them, you're like, excuse me? Like, like, no. And in the same way from the prophecy side, consider the source. Consider who is speaking this into my life. Does, does their life have a track record of the character of God and the fruit of the Spirit being present in their life? And if so, well, then maybe we can move to the next step, which is I'm going to actually receive this. Now, again, that doesn't mean write the check. That doesn't mean believe this, take this to the bank. But I'm going to actually let this have a spot in my brain. Okay, I'm gonna receive this. And I think a passage that kind of backs this up is 1 Thessalonians um, 5, verse 19 and 22. It says this, Paul again is talking to one of the churches, church in Thessalonica. He says, don't quench the spirit. Because again, maybe some of what they're saying is actually from the Holy Spirit. And again, take it very cautiously. Don't quench the spirit. Don't just go when somebody says, hey, I feel like God's leading me to tell you blank that you just go, mm. if he wanted to tell me, he'd show me here. All right, okay, or right, you told me that, okay. Nope, that's not the same thing. False. That's not what he's after. He said, don't quench the spirit. He says, don't quench quench the spirit. And then verse 20, he says, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Key word, test them all. Now again, hold to what's true. There may be parts of what they said that is is true. There may be parts of it that is false. I'm gonna let go of that. But if you said that God has something more for me and it's through, you know, buying this subscription to this magazine, well, I believe God has something more for me, but I'm on a budget, friend. I ain't doing that. I'm gonna hold on to this. I'm gonna let go of that. Test, hold on to what is good. He says in verse 22, reject every kind of evil. The next one, it kind of goes in line with that verse in Thessalonians. Third way, if somebody comes to you saying I have a word of wisdom, prophecy for your life, is test it against scripture. And I cannot emphasize this enough. Test everything that somebody would say to you that says, this is the word of God that he's given to me. Test every single bit of it against scripture. If you need help with that, go to somebody who knows scripture better than you. Go find somebody. Like, and again, here's what's really dangerous about God's word. Man, it's super dangerous. The person prophesying to you, you know what they may come to you with? A word of God and a word from the word of God. And that's really, that's when that's that one-two punch potentially. But again, I encourage you, do not be Bible verse people. Be Bible chapter, Bible book, and the whole darn thing. Or you will get the wool pulled over your eyes. All right, so test it. Test it against scripture. Last thing is this, you know, is pray. Pray for wisdom. 
pray that God, you know, James 1.5 says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask to God who gives generously to all. Uh, one of the questions I found, because I've had people come to do this in my life, you know, a lot of times, man, I'm very cautious when people come to do this. Uh, it's not something I go around. This is probably one of the only messages I've ever taught, preached on false prophecy and even my own personal views on prophecy because it's not something I just go parading around that, so that uh, everybody can know. Uh, one of the questions I always ask myself, whether or not this is something that I take to heart and I believe in, is does this line up with some of the things that Holy Spirit was already revealing to my life? Does this line up with things that God was already bringing to my attention? Because if you go back to that first passage we read about what Paul said the gifts of prophecy were to and what they were for, he says they are for strengthening, encouraging, and comforting, which in scripture, when we get our definitions and our characteristics of the Holy Spirit's role in our life, it is those things, strengthening, encouraging, and comforting. And so oftentimes, the way I know that a prophecy doesn't line up with the Holy Spirit is actually doing in my life is it doesn't match up with how he strengthened me, encouraging me, and comforting me. So those are some of the ways that I feel like, man, we can lean into and understand how to navigate life where somebody may come and, and be prophetic into your life or how you can navigate being potentially prophetic in other people's life because that may happen too. And here's the approach I would say to take. If that is ever the thing, I would never hand them a business card that says, hi, I'm Prophet Shoemake. Let me tell you what God wants to tell you. I, I think that is a, probably a bad way to, to, to lead, especially with people who are non-believers. They're gonna go, you're great. You're, you're, again, I, I know a few non-believers and, I, and I, I feel like that's how they would act. But being able to say, hey, and again, leaving room, and again, husband's in the room, you know that when you're gonna say something to somebody, especially your wife, approaches everything. And uh, coming out of the gate and saying, hey, um, I, get this, I get this feeling that, that God wanted me to tell you this. And, I, and even leaving room for failure. I, I may be wrong, but here's, here's what I'm feeling, that God wanted me to speak into your life. Uh, one, of the, one of the recurring times I get this is actually going through drive-thrus. I go through a drive-thru and man, I'll, I'll see a, a young man or young woman and they're the one at the window. And, um, and sometimes I, 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 it usually happens on the extremes. I'll go through one and man, the person at the window, and it's never at Chick-fil-A, um, it's always somewhere else. Um, I go through the window and it's, it's somebody at a place, because I really do think that people who work at Chick-fil-A, like, man, for whatever it's worth, they're like super proud to be there. Uh, usually it's other places that, that maybe the people who are working there aren't quite as proud as people who work at Chick-fil-A are. Now take that for whatever it is. But they may do your, uh, give me your order and everything else. And they're very, ex- like this person may be very excited and, and they have a good attitude. There's some pep in their step, good, you know, lively conversation, ask you how you're doing, everything else like that. And I feel like there are times when that happens where God is, is impressing upon me to help encourage them. And I will either say something like, hey, um, man, I, I just want you to know that uh, this isn't gonna be your last job. God's got a great plan for you and it doesn't end here. And for somebody who is like, man, I'm, I'm working at, McDonald's or whatever. And again, the fact that you have a job, and that's what I'm trying to communicate. And sometimes it's the person who um, I think everybody else through their whole entire shift has treated them like they're just someone who's just like a vending machine that is not a real life human with a real life soul that's gonna spend a real life destination in heaven or hell. And everybody else has treated them like that. So they start to treat the other people who pull up to the window and they're just like, 583, do you want ketchup? What kind of sauce you want? Like when, when, when they're like that, that's when I kind of go, hey man, I, can, can I just tell you something? Like, I don't, I don't think this is all that God has for you. So thank you for, for being here. Thank you for working. 
But I just want you to know that, that God has more on the table for you and it's not gonna end here in this drive-through at this restaurant. And again, is that thus saith the Lord? Do I, do I think they should take that and add to the Bible? Not necessarily, but it's, it's me going, hey, I see, I want you to know that there is a God who sees and I see that God has more for you. Now, God's will for their life that they may become the manager of that McDonald's and, and, and just lead a thriving small group to, that meets before it starts. So be it. And I would love to be wrong on that. But that's how I think we should approach these things when we start thinking about how we should let God speak through us. And again, everything is filtered through God's word. All right? All right. Class is over as far as prophecy goes. Let's get back in this passage. So we didn't make it through one verse. We're about halfway through the first one and uh, it's about time to go. So let's, let's plow through here. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. Two points there. What he's trying to say is the danger with the false prophet is that they are dangerous and deceptive. It's one thing to know something is dangerous. Like when you go to the Grand Canyon, you look over the cliff and you're like, that's dangerous. But it's a whole nother thing when something is deceptive and dangerous. And that's the point he's trying to make. And I think that's why he uses this analogy that they're wolves. He's talking about wolves as, as, as an animal that has a ferocious appetite. And the false prophets... The people will come and, and, and speak truth that they, or speak what they say is truth to get God's people to, to believe it as, as it is actually a lie. They come in and they are motivated. This is what you gotta know. And this is what you need to look for. They're motivated by a false appetite. Now you've maybe been to a church where you could tell after you were there for a little while, you listened to enough sermons, you heard enough talks, you, you saw enough capital campaigns. That motivation for that false teacher who is potentially a ravenous wolf, the appetite was for more money. And sometimes you can see the appetite is for more power, more approval from man, more control over people. And many false teachers, they're wolves in sheep clothing and they're dangerous because they have an appetite. They're not dangerous because they can potentially bite. They're not dangerous because they're, they're harmful. They're dangerous because there is an unmet appetite inside of them that they are not being satisfied by Jesus by. And so because they're not, Jesus is not satisfying that appetite for approval, that appetite for resources, that appetite for affection, that appetite for control, because Jesus is not the one who they are letting satisfy that appetite, they seek to manipulate people so that appetite can be satisfied for them. So you gotta look for that. You gotta, you gotta be able to kind of see what's going on in those moments and those instances where that. So that's why he says they're dangerous because they're deceptive. And the problem with um, what he's talking about here is they're inwardly wolves, who pretend to outwardly be sheep, who come in humble. And the danger there is you don't know it's a problem until it's too late. And that's the wolf's goal, is to get right up enough to you that you never noticed what it really was. And that's why Jesus says the next verse, where he says, okay, they're gonna be tricky, they're gonna be sneaky, you're gonna be potentially lulled into this. If you're not watching out, you're going to miss it. So he says, okay, here's how you can know it's a wolf before it's too late. And the passage he says here is six, uh, Matthew 7, 16. Here's how to know it's a wolf before it's too late. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So what do you think a successful, uh, a true teacher or a true prophet or a false teacher or a false prophet, what do you think good fruit really is? 
So if we're not careful in, in America, in our context, we'll think that good fruit is a growing church. We'll think that good fruit is, uh, you know, just going crazy and doing all these amazing things. We'll think that good fruit is, you know, you, you fill in your blank, success. That's how the world and maybe even our culture defines success. But I've been a part of, I've seen, and so have you, thriving, huge megachurch ministries, blown up because a person had really good results. The person had really good outcomes. The person had uh, full parking lots, but the person lacked any character. And because people were, were so bought into the appeal of everything that was there and all the things they saw on the outside, no one ever even questioned the character. No one was ever even close enough to know the character. There was a board of directors or a, a, a committee or a board of trustees Nobody really knew who that pastor was. That's why I love our structure here at MCC, where we have people that are asking, whether it's me, whether it's our other pastors here, they're leaning in, asking the questions. That's why I love being a part of a community group. I have people in my life who are actually close enough to know know who I am and see what's underneath there, as ugly as it may be sometimes. So he says, lean in and look at the fruit, real fruit not fruit as it lines up with what we think it should look like based off our culture, but fruit as it should be in regards to God's word of love, joy, peace, patient kindness. There's a church that Paul wrote to. Um, it was in a place called Berea. And he actually commends this church in Berea for how they lived this out. Now, again, uh, Paul is writing to this church in Berea and he's giving them messages. He's giving them notes and he's writing to other churches. He's doing all these things. And He's talking about how this ministry is going in the book of Acts. And he says this in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. He says, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character. He's not saying they're better people. He just said they had a better character, which again is what all this whole fruit thing is about. He said, they were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Ouch. Uh, If you're a Thessalonican Jew who's reading this, you're like, dang, man, he just like called us out in front of everybody for the, in God's word for like, ever. Um, That's rough. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but to Paul's credit, he did say some really nice things about Thessalonians in the book of Thessalonica. Anyway, he roasted them here. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness, key word here, and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. See, that's examining the fruit. It's not examining it based off of what you think a good, growing, healthy church should look like. It's not examining it off of what you think a thriving ministry should look like. It's not examining the fruit based off of that uh, YouTube worship video you saw and how you saw all those people in the stands. And surely all those people can't be wrong. See, that's that's the danger about our culture. You'll go on Amazon and you'll look for the product that has the most reviews. You'll look for the product that is the number one seller. You'll watch the show on Netflix that is the number one watch thing. See, it's hardwired into our DNA and our culture as American society to do the thing that everybody else is doing. But don't forget what Jesus just got through saying. He said, the way is narrow. The, the path is hard. Only a few people are gonna find it. So stop living a Christian life where the first thing you're looking to to figure out where not that thing is the thing I should be a part of is, is everybody else doing it. It's almost as if in this whole countercultural flipping the kingdom of earth onto the kingdom of heaven's head message that Jesus is giving is he's actually saying, actually do the exact opposite. Go where nobody else is going. Listen to songs that nobody else is listening to. Subscribe to the podcast that nobody else is. 
And if you're not, really, really be careful and really, really take everything that you hear back to God's word. I think that's why Paul, again, think about this. Like the Berean church probably knew some of these things that Paul had already done. They knew he was a Pharisee. They knew he's a guy who knew the Old Testament scriptures backwards and forward. Like if there was ever anybody you could trust to whether or not what Paul was saying lined up with the Old Testament scriptures that the Berean Jews already had, it was Paul for sure. And on top of that, there's these, all these stories circulating about the miracles that Paul was doing. There was a story about this guy, uh, Paul's preaching, and he's preaching even longer than I do. And, and he's preaching, he preaches all night long. And there's this dude who's sitting on a windowsill and he's sitting there on the windowsill and Paul's just preaching. And he just, man, maybe he's a teenager. Maybe he had a late night. Maybe he's worked third shift. I don't know. He just falls asleep and falls straight out of the window and dies, guys, dead. I've like, and this is it, Paul's preaching, that's crazy, uh, dies and Paul raises him from the dead. And that same Paul sends a letter to the Bereans and they don't go, oh, this is Paul who has resurrection power. Oh, this is Paul who's a Pharisee, let's just trust him. They go, no, this is Paul who's still a human being, who is still not Jesus. We're gonna take everything that he said and we're gonna take it right back to God's word. And my question, friends, is do you do that? Even with me, do you do that? Paul said, and I hope he says this of you. If he, he, I hope he says, um, you know, of you and your last name, uh, but the Smith family, they were of more noble character because they didn't just trust what Trent said, but they examined it based off of scripture. And I hope they would say that. I hope, I hope that's said of my family. I hope it's said of your family. That, 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 that you know, as somebody's writing, that they are of noble character. Again, not a better person or a worse person. They're of more noble character because they didn't just take it at face value, but they took it back to scripture. And that's what I hope and pray we can do and, and really be all about. And so as we end today, the thing that I wanna take you to is what I feel like is the number one thing to be aware of because I think this is the most dangerous false message, false gospel, and many, many false prophets. This, if you listen long enough, this is what you will hear them say. This is the false gospel of prosperity, the false gospel of health and wealth. The false gospel, I would, I'm gonna give it a more scientific term, all right? Again, I told you you're gonna go to school a little bit today, uh, but I'm gonna give it a little bit more of a scientific word of what I believe it actually is because calling it health and wealth or calling it prosperity is honestly shortchanging it in my opinion because it's not about just getting money. I would call it this. Therapeutic, moralistic deism. You know, can we say that together? Therapeutic, moralistic deism. All right. Paul's writing to Timothy and he was talking to him about this therapeutic, moralistic deism. He says, if anyone teaches otherwise, this is 1 Timothy 6, three through five. If anyone teaches otherwise, and does not agree to sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, taking it directly back to Jesus, godly teaching. He says, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and think that, here's the key, that godliness is a means for financial gain. And what Paul is doing here is he's saying, the fruit is that they think that, okay, godliness is a way for me to get more from God. 
that if I'm godly, he'll give me more. And specifically, it can be money, it can be relationship, it can be uh, a lack of anxiety, it, it can be whatever. But the thought process goes, if I'm good, then God will do X, Y, Z for me, whether it's money, whether it's a child, whether it's resources, whether it's a relationship, whatever it may be, that if I'm good, God will do whatever. God will make me feel better. That's moralistic, therapeutic deism. It says, I believe in God, therefore you do good and you feel better. You believe in God, so you do good and you feel better. But friends, that's not what God is offering you. He's not offering you your best life. He's not trying to get you to become the best version of yourself. And that right there, that become the best version of you. Friends, that is like the red flag of red flags for a false prophet and a false gospel to say that, man, God wants you to live your best life. God wants you to be the best version of yourself. My best life and my best version of me will burn in hell forever because my best version of me is not Jesus. My best version of me is just a better behaved, more self-controlled version of Trent Shoemake. And me at my uttermost self-control, me at my uttermost good behavior, me at my uttermost no cuss words in traffic, that is still not gonna save me. It will not save you either, friend. That's why Paul in Galatians, he said, it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives through me. He didn't say it is no longer old Paul who lives, but it's best life Paul who lives now. No, he said, it is no longer I who live. If you see me in class, it's, it's Jesus, it's not Paul. If you see me at Quick Trip, it's not me, it's Jesus. And the problem is, and this is why we're so quick to believe the false teacher, because we're so insecure, that we could actually be Jesus's representation here on planet earth. So we think, well, I gotta just do better so that I can feel better about myself. Jesus goes, no, no. I think, and, and if you listen to the people who propagate moralistic, um, therapeutic deism, what you will find is that 90%, if not 99% of the message revolve around your feelings and not on the gospel. And, and I think this is why the depression levels and the anxiety levels for teenagers within the church and outside the church are exactly the same. The depression and anxiety levels for young adults inside the church and outside the church are exactly the same. The depression levels uh, for, for middle-aged people inside the church and outside the church are exactly the same because in, in the majority of churches around our country, we are preaching gospel messages that all revolve around us and not Jesus. And, and when our gospel revolves around us and our feelings, you know what we become? We don't become Christians, we become narcissists. And we worship how we worship instead of worshiping Jesus. And that is the most dangerous thing you can do for your faith because it all becomes about you and not about him. And what I'm, what I'm, what I'm begging us to do is say, Jesus, I am not trying to follow how I should be. I'm following you. I'm not trying to follow after this idealistic image of me who doesn't struggle with that sin anymore. I'm not trying to follow after the version of me who doesn't worry if we're gonna have enough to have Christmas for the kids. I'm not trying to follow and be that person who just now is magically peaceful. Jesus, instead of looking at who I should become, I'm looking at who you are and I'm deciding to follow that. I'm deciding to follow you. And we're getting ready to celebrate the life of a young man 
who is doing just that. In a day and age where, where so many, uh, specifically young men, are lost, have no identity, have, have no one to trust in or who to believe in, I'm really pow- proud of this young man and the faith that Wade has to today, wade into the waters of baptism to say, I have decided not to follow after a better version of Wade, but to follow after Jesus.